next session is um, led by Dot Yam and Vivian Black, who are from Leaders in Leading, who offer, as it says on the title, practical solutions for workforce. Is that right? Part of it? Yeah? Okay. So over to you. Now, we are going to actually do our session. It's rather an interactive session. So it's, uh, so it's um, keep, yeah, I don't know nurses, uh, they're always up and about and so on. So it's good to move around. So, and we will be moving around as well. So you might have to turn your head as we go. Okay. <laughs> now, first of all, uh, is the occupational health and safety issue. I saw some of, uh, some of you because in order to look at the, uh, the PowerPoints, you know, the neck is quite rather tiring, all right? <laughs> there is, uh, there is a, an option, of course, is by looking at your notes rather than the PowerPoints. The other thing about it is that I found that in order to increase the space, the space in your neck, what you do is that you actually put your chin forward a little bit before you lift up. Now you try that now because they'll actually increase the space and you feel much more comfortable instead of jamming your neck. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now um, what we're going to talk about is that yeah, some um, some tools in um, how to get people on site. Now I'm just going to uh, yeah, you know flick it to the first slide. Good morning, let the stress begin. <laughs> is, that, is that your day? Does it look familiar? Oh, we can turn that around. Oh, cracky, yeah. Now, if you could talk to the person next to you and just find out um, how many of these so-called stressors are actually directly or indirectly relating to people. Okay, just have a chat, have a chat. Have a chat for a minute, and then uh, we'll go from there. Okay, all right, now, how many of you will say that, yeah, directly or indirectly, is actually relating to people? Yeah, yeah, almost, almost, uh, you know, 80, 90% of them, yeah. But what if then, um, how, I should say, go back a little bit, is that how do you actually manage that? Here is one strategy. Bang your head here. <laughs> now this <laughs> place on firm service, follow directions provided in the circle. Repeat until stress diminishes to acceptable level or you are unconscious. <laughs> There is no authorization from your HMO is required. So to demonstrate this, bang your head here. This is what you do. That's one option. You know, um, I uh, learned from uh, uh, a very good friend now and uh, one of my mentors uh, in nursing and uh, she said that, okay, when you start banging your head against the brick wall, eventually you are the one who will get the brain damage. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, well, don't do that. That might be an option, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> so what are some of the options? Yeah, well, there are a few. 
There are certainly a few. And then we're going to start off with, uh, I'm going to give it to uh, Vivian, who will start off with giving you some of the strategies. And then we'll come back and then we'll do the interactive bit as well. Thank you. Hi, I'm Vivian. So, if you work with people, you work with emotions. Would that be true? Yeah. So part of our strategy today is how do we learn to manage emotions? How do we learn to keep things in check so that we can actually have good leadership when it counts? Because it's easy to be positive when everything's fine, isn't it? Yeah. So really what we're talking about is leadership in the workplace. So it doesn't, you don't have to be in a position that clearly defines you as a leader. Um, in fact, can I just have a show of hands? Don't be shy. Who here sees themselves as a leader? Who would go, yep, I'm a leader? Yeah? Okay, good. And there's some people kind of like their little fingers going up. Maybe. <laughs> and I know, certainly for me a long time ago, I thought, well, I'm not a leader because the leadership models that I had were not the kind of leader I wanted to be. See, so if somebody said you're a leader, I'd go, no, I'm not. Because that means, you know, I'm, I'm a tyrant. Well, I've got news for you, whether you raised your hand or not. If you are a parent, you're in a leadership position. If you are in the care of another person, you're in a leadership position. You don't have to have the title manager. See, leadership is how we positively influence others to get them to a better place. If you own a pet, you're in a leadership position. Who's ever heard those stories where the dog has taken over the master bedroom? <laughs> Won't let the owners in, it's like, grrr. <laughs> That's a leadership issue. So if you're alive, you're in a leadership position because every day, we have self-leadership. And what we do with our self-leadership makes a big difference as to how we experience the world. Are we at the effect of the world? Or are we choosing how we want to be in the world and how the world around us affects us or we could be grateful for situations? So we just want to have a look at leadership for a moment. Have you ever been inspired by a leader? Yeah, so maybe it was back in school, maybe you had a teacher that somehow brought out something in you where you wanted to learn and you had the love of learning. Have you noticed when you've got the love of learning that you're not afraid to ask questions? You're not afraid to put forward your own ideas. That's what good leadership does. It encourages the best out of others. Who has ever experienced the opposite of being inspired by a leader? Yeah, I would say most of us have. Most of us have had experiences, whether it's been in school, whether it's been in the workplace. Just because people are in a leadership position or a management position doesn't necessarily mean that they have leadership skills. Because management is about managing the tasks, managing the role. Leadership is about getting people on side. 
Way back when I was in school, we just used to do those little rhymes around history. Do you remember that one, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue or something in 16, I think I don't even remember the rhyme. <laughs> and all we learned was when he sailed the ocean blue and he went on a discovery mission. The part we'd never heard about was how did he convince people to come on that journey with him? And apparently there, he put an ad in, you know, whatever, however they had their newspapers back then, and he was saying, a trip to not sure where we're going, don't know if we'll return, <laughs> we're going to sail the ocean, it could be treacherous, who's in? <laughs> so that's pretty powerful, isn't it, when you can get people on board and on side with the mission that you're on. So, leadership is either going to be more a positive style or a negative style. So really, if it's a negative style, which we've all experienced, they tend to lead through fear, intimidation, and force. Hmm. Whereas more positive leadership will lead through love and respect. So by love, I mean the love of humanity, respect with the aim to maintain the dignity of whatever human being you come into contact with. And then of course communication is the desire to truly relate to another, because communication is a two-way street. Often we have one-sided <laughs> communications. And of course, inspiration, because over the years Dot and I have been asked by a lot of organizations, you know, can you come in and motivate our teams? If you learn to become a leader that inspires something in people, when people become inspired, they become self-motivated. Because if you have to motivate somebody, whose energy are you using? Your own. It's like, come on, 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 come on. It's ultimately not sustainable. All right, so two styles of leadership, positive or negative. And by the way, I'm not making a judgment about any of those. It's just going, you know, these are facts. Some people lead with, lead with a positive style and some people lead with a more, you know, fear, force and intimidation. And often it's because that's how they've been led and they don't know how else to do it. So, okay, what about if I said, I'll pay you a million bucks if you can do a specific task? Right, so let's just say we set up a doable task and it's just, can you get from here to a fence line in under 10 seconds? And if you can, you're going to have to try a little bit, but if you can, when you get there, if you make it, I'll pay you a million bucks. Would you try your hardest to get there in the time frame? Sure, of course. What about now if I said, okay, same doable task, same prize money at the end, and this time after I say ready, set, go, I'm going to randomly fire shots across the field. <laughs> would you still try your hardest to get to the other side? Some people would. They would just run for their lives. Some people would just fold their arms and dig their heels in and say, game over. I'm out. See? So it will kill a motivation or it will cause a motivation through fear. See, the difference is either way, people are going to get to the other side, but it's how they feel when they get there. 
So through a positive leadership and a positive style of inspiration and self-motivation, people feel good. <laughs> they feel good even though they've tried hard and you know, maybe they're exhausted sometimes. They feel good about what they're doing. But on the other side is people feel stressed and disempowered. See, it doesn't matter how much effort you put in, you don't come out of the day feeling worthwhile. So people will feel stressed, disempowered, a loss of dignity, intimidated. Who can relate to some of this? Yeah, absolutely. See, and the other style of motivation is through love, as I framed it before. People will tend to feel more energized and empowered, dignified, respected. You know, oh boy, I get to go to work again today. We really truly can feel like that because you have a sense of purpose. You know, if you're in the healthcare industry, it tells us that you've got a big heart. You are somebody who gives by nature. It's hard for you not to give and care. You know, and that's why sometimes you just you'll slog your, your guts out all day long and feel on that side a bit stressed and disempowered instead of energized because of the contribution you give in the world. Okay, so if we have two styles of leadership and two basic styles of motivation, a leader is either, either going to inspire obedience for survival or a willingness and spirit in their teams, in their people, in their families. Remember, there's many places you're a leader. What I mean by obedience for survival is when people are operating through fear or not feeling comfortable, they'll tend to be obedient for survival. I don't want to lose my job, so I'm going to keep showing up and I'm going to put up with <laughs> these conditions. You know, because that appeals to our very basic needs, food and shelter. You know, if I lose my job, then maybe I'll lose my home, maybe I can't feed myself or my family. So you'll tend to have a culture under the negative style of leadership where people, they show up, they'll do what they have to do, sometimes they'll do the absolute minimum, um, and they'll go home and resent you. <laughs> Feel resentful, and then drag themselves out of bed for another day. On the other side, if leadership inspires a willingness and spirit, what you then have is people who feel like they're a valued contributor. You know, that their part on the team, whatever it is, is appreciated. And when people feel valued and they feel like a part of something, you know, this is where this, this giving nature of yours, when you hook it in to that sense of purpose, that you're making a difference every day in somebody's life. That's inspiring. See, and when people feel inspired and appreciated, that's when willingness shows up. That's where you get a willing team or a willing colleague or a willing partner or a willing child. <laughs> and then, if ever they need to go above and beyond to help you, they'll do it and feel good about it instead of resenting you. So the results of our leadership style and our motivational style will be reflected in the people or in the workplace. So over on the fear side or the negative side, 
you tend to see more burnout. You know, burnout is destruction at the soul level. We are so exhausted and burned out that we feel like an empty shell. <laughs> There's not a lot of energy left inside. People tend to feel unappreciated, out of control. So when people feel unappreciated and out of control of the situations around them, it's much harder to deal with change. And of course, there's hardly ever any change in healthcare, is there? <laughs> it's happening all the time. You know, so we need to be resilient in order to move with change and through change. And then of course, there's this one, bullying often shows up. Yeah, and I mean, there's anti-bullying policies and you know all sorts of things. I mean, it's like telling an angry person not to be angry. It's like, don't tell me not to be angry. In that moment, you know, that's not going to work. So bullying is a symptom of something. It's a symptom of something that's not working well. Um, I'm not originally from healthcare, so. You know, most of my life I worked outside healthcare, and so in the last seven and a half years, uh, I've been working in healthcare. And it was a real eye opener for me because for the first time I heard this term horizontal violence. Is anyone familiar with that term? Horizontal violence. And I got curious about it and thought, well, out in the corporate world, they talk about vertical violence, you know, where it's from the top down. So horizontal violence means that we attack our own. In fact, the definition of horizontal violence is um, hostile or aggressive behavior by an individual or team towards another individual or team. So when I looked around at this term horizontal violence and discovered where that term first came from, does anyone know where that term horizontal violence first came from? Slavery. Slavery. Now I thought, how can an industry of people who are such caring, giving people have a symptom of horizontal violence? See, so when I saw that that was in slavery, the reason horizontal violence happened in slavery was because people felt completely powerless. They had no voice. So it becomes a dog-eat-dog -dog world. You know, I better step on you before I get stepped on. You know? so, and please, I'm not suggesting that you're slaves. <laughs> but I'm just saying as a symptom, it was really interesting to understand that term and why we tend to attack our own instead of supporting our own. And it is because of that sense of I have no voice and I have no power. So I thought, well, that's really interesting. And even in the last seven and a half years, I can see that changing. It's absolutely changing. But you know, this is part of the thing. It's like when we run out of strategies of how to lead in a positive way, we revert back to what we know or, or whatever other leaders that we have. So really, you know, leadership is about making a choice. How do I want to lead myself every day? Okay. Do I have positive self-talk or do I have negative self-talk? That's part of your leadership. 
and how we treat ourselves. So Dot and I talk about developing leadership from the inside out. How do we get our inner leader, shine a light on our inner leader, so that when we're with others and we're leading others, then we learn to bring out the best in them as well. So of course on the other side here, you'll tend to see individuals and teams to be more energized. To, there's more an uplifted environment. It's interesting how you can walk into a place and feel the environment, can't you? You either walk in and go, ha, oh, this just feels good. It feels happy and light. Or it feels kind of heavy. Because we're feeling beings and we're sensitive to these things. You tend to see more self-control and also people tend to feel more powerful. And that's in a, a positive personal power. Not power over. <laughs> that's on the other side. Yeah. So, Dot. So, um, yeah. Self-leadership. How do we empower another? How do we actually get them out of the state of chaos in their mind to actually having some sort of control? How do we create an environment of love, upliftment? So we, we and energizing uh, for the individual and of course of the team and the organization. Now, we've got to go through that uh, uh, more obviously. But in the meantime, now in your handout pack, there is one single sheet that looks uh, with an umbrella on it. So if you could pick that one out, please. The one with the umbrella on it, yes. That's right. Yeah. Because we'll invite you to look at the first question, and that is, where does your leadership style currently sit? More on the negative or on the positive? Now, this is not uh, judging yourself, or just, just give yourself some sort of a baseline to work on. So just uh, make a mark there um, as to where you fit into that scale, as it were. Yeah, did you find that sheet? Yeah. Oh, you haven't got that? I will have get another one in a moment. Yeah. Has that got my scribbles on it? <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to show anyone or you can choose to, to talk to somebody about that later on. But this is just the baseline. So as we talk, as we talk and give you strategies to turn it around, as it were, then um, you'll be able to say, okay, well, that's right. I have got options and I can do this one option or pick a couple, then it'll make a difference. All right. Okay. Communication is an interesting thing, isn't it? See that up there? It says, no one likes to be told what to do. Sometimes we can have the best of intention, but our delivery is perceived otherwise. <laughs> Who's ever been misunderstood or misinterpreted? Yeah, exactly. You know, so we can have the best of intention, but it's really important in our leadership that we have a self-awareness. What do I look like from the outside? Do I look threatening? Even if I'm not threatening. 
Yeah, I, I knew a manager that I had to do some one-on-one -on -one coaching with. She put her whole team offside just by her mannerisms. So she had the best of intentions. She was always thinking about what they could do, you know, to innovate and get ahead. And so because she was always thinking, she had this frown. And then she used to stand with her hands on her hips. And she was sort of intense because she was thinking about stuff. <laughs> you know, so then she would ask somebody to do something. She'd go, oh, I wonder, could you put this report together for me, please? Thank you. And then she'd go away. And she, because she's overthinking everything, she'd come back and she'd go, where are you up to with that report? See, she stood over, she stood too close, she looked intense, but in her mind, she was supportive and she was helpful. In her, thank you, Dawn. In her staff's mind, she was a micromanager and a bully. See, perception is everything. So this is why in our leadership positions, you know, whether it's working with a colleague, or whether you're leading a team, etc., is get to know what you look like from the outside. Do you look tense and intense? <laughs> Do you forget to smile because there's so much on your mind? Because how we approach people, within seconds, they make up their mind whether they feel okay or not okay, and they make a judgment about you that could be so untrue. But then that becomes how they see you. Uh-oh, here she comes. <laughs> Brace yourself. Here is the fact that um, we all have our personal space and you know some people they actually want more personal space than other people so when you get to know your team and wanting one of the strategies turn people turn, turn things around for you uh, is to actually judge what it is a safe space for that person and some people will really shrink away from you and then you know okay next time because it's always the next time, the next opportunity for the learn and change yourself. So that you know, well, when I get to them, then I, I won't stand too close. You know, because we're all different. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, very much so. So some of you may have seen this model before. It's a transactional analysis model. And if it's something that interests you, you can Google it and get lots more information about it. And we're just using it in a very basic way today. So in transactional analysis, they suggest that we have three ego states within us. So we have the parent ego state, adult ego state, and child ego state. So this here represents one person interacting with another person or having a transaction of some kind. And in this instance, the parent ego state, we're not talking about a positive parent style. <laughs> we're talking about the negative parent style. So if somebody's using that negative parent style transaction, what do you think that would sound like or look like? Anyone? Bossy? Condescending? Sorry, I missed it. Controlling? Power? Power over? Yeah, so it tends to put us on the back foot, doesn't it? And of course the body language that goes with that. It changes, doesn't it? Body language is so powerful. You can go from relaxed to just <laughs> feeling quite different. So if somebody's using any of the things you've just mentioned and a body language to match, which ego state do you think they're most likely to hook in the other person? Yeah, the child. The child. Excuse me. Whoop. You might hook the rebellious child. It's like, don't tell me what to do. 
or they'll go, yeah, I'll be right on it. <laughs> so we'll tend to bring out the worst. Or the other child you might hook, the child ego you might hook, is the unconfident child. So that's somebody who feels so intimidated by that kind of communication that they withdraw. So they stop contributing. They stop having initiative because they're too afraid that they're going to get beat down or shut down. There's another parent-child setup, and that's the mother hen. Now, the mother hen, just imagine mother hen. She's got all her little chicky stuff under her wings. And somebody comes to her staff member for something. She goes, don't you come to my staff and ask them things. If you want something, you come through me. Now, what usually happens is initially it seems like she's protective and protecting her staff, but ultimately it falls back into that parent-child setup where her staff will be disempowered as well because usually the staff have to go through mother hen for everything. You know, so again, remember, these are just subconscious behaviors. People don't really mean to be like that, but it's sometimes we don't realize we're being like that or we don't realize we're being perceived like that. Remember, perception is true to the beholder. <laughs> All right, so parent-child. How about this one? Child to child. What do you think that sounds like in the workplace? <laughs> Everyone knows. <laughs> bickering, bickering, you know, I'm always cleaning up to you, you're not pulling your weight, you're not doing your things, and you're leaving early, and I'm picking up the slack. So it's like the squabbling siblings. And finally somebody goes, I'm telling mom on you. Or I'm telling the manager on you. <laughs> Which creates a drama. So what is the only respectful way to communicate? Absolutely, adult to adult. That's respect. And it always maintains an intention to keep the dignity of the other person in the conversation. So adult to adult is very important. So how do we know we're doing adult to adult? Because remember, sometimes our intention doesn't match up with our body language and our words. <laughs> yeah, listening to each other. So you know, sometimes as someone else is talking, we're already thinking about what we want to say. We might be excited or enthusiastic, but if we interrupt, they're suddenly feeling like you're not listening. So yeah, listening is very important. Listening without judgment. Oh, thank you, John. <laughs> thank you. Just, just speak to people um, as you would like them to speak to you, basically. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's very powerful. Just speak That's to people how you'd like them to speak to you. Yeah. Just observing, like, as what you're saying, how it's being received. So you may think it's positive, but if you look at them, it may be seen as though it's being taken negatively. So you're actually observing yes. their reaction or their responses. Yes, yes. That's right. That gives you very good feedback, doesn't it, indeed? It does. Yeah. How's their body language? Yeah. Can they look you in the eye? Are they sort of slinking yeah. away from you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Else. So voice tone, body language, yeah. listening having the intention. Sorry, acknowledging what they feel. 
Yeah, acknowledge. Acknowledge. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Acknowledge yeah. what they're feeling Excellent. or validate yeah. exactly what they're right. feeling or saying. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You all know how. It's just sometimes what happens under pressure, we can be perceived differently. So we're not necessarily, you know, if someone's stressed, they're not necessarily aiming it at you, but it feels like it's coming at you, doesn't it? Yeah. So again, as part of our leadership or self-leadership is how do we not take that on board? How do we just go, oh yes, I'm aware of this person's pattern under stress. So I don't need to take that on board. You know, oh yes, she's always cranky in the morning. <laughs> I just need to not buy into that it's me. So adult to adult is very important. And by the way, just on body language, does anyone here know up to what percentage we read body language before we hear anything that comes out of somebody's mouth? Yeah, it's up to 93%. That's huge, isn't it? So that's give or take 7% of what you're actually saying. See, we're wired. We're wired for survival. So that's why we notice body language, whether we're conscious or, or not of it, because it's about our survival. You know, if somebody looks like a predator, we're going to be on high alert. <laughs> yeah, so our body language means a lot. All right. So what are we looking at here? Oh, yes. Now, with our body language or our communication style or how we're perceived, has anybody ever felt like the child in a conversation? Has anyone been on that, I feel like the child and somebody else is coming across as parent style? Does that push your buttons or what? <laughs> Absolutely. So when things push our buttons, something happens to us. What I'd like, I'd, actually I'd like to explain this a little more to you. I want you to just think about somebody that you've had a conflict with. Okay? Got it? All right. Did you notice that when you thought about that situation, whether it happened this morning or a week ago or a month ago or 10 years ago, that you sometimes still feel a little something around it? Still feel something, yeah? Well, that's our emotions reporting something to us when our buttons are pushed. So this next diagram here, <laughs> this might be you. And those buttons are, are emotional buttons. So I'm gonna finish the diagram for you here. So hopefully you can see this. So this might be you. <laughs> and here's the emotional buttons that can be pushed. So when I asked you to think of that conflict situation, that feeling is your button being pushed, an emotional button. So when the button's pushed, have you noticed which way emotions go? Up. So they tend to bubble up, don't they? So we're going to do them as emotional bubbles coming up here. <laughs> now, something happens to us when our bubbles come up. Some of our sensibilities go down. And one of the first things we don't do very well is what? Is listen. See, when your button's pushed, it's like, here come the bubbles. And it's really hard to listen to the other person's point of view or whatever it might be. So our ability to listen goes down. The more our emotional buttons are pushed, 
and the more these bubbles come up. What's the next thing we don't do very well? <laughs> See, we lose sight of the bigger picture, don't we? Become very tunnel visioned. Who's ever witnessed somebody with a bit of road rage? <laughs> They'd be driving along, singing to the radio, somebody cuts them off. <laughs> Here come the bubbles. <laughs> and suddenly their tunnel vision is just like, I gotta track them down just so that I can pull up at the lights beside them and give them a stink eye. Who's ever seen something like that? Oh my goodness. That's emotional bubbles. That is emotional bubbles. Buttons pushed, boom. So we lose sight of the bigger picture and we become quite tunnel visioned. So our ability to see in that moment goes down or is diminished. So some of you already onto this next bit. <laughs> the more our bubbles come up, what's the next thing? We don't do very well. Think. Isn't it interesting that you all know this? <laughs> because we all have emotional buttons. So our ability to think clearly goes down. And what happens when the button's pushed, and by the way, your button might be pushed and it might be a slow simmer. Sometimes your button's pushed and it's kaboom. But when that button is pushed and you can't listen, you can't see, and you can't think clearly, what tends to happen is you react. It's like the knee-jerk reaction. It's happening before you can do anything about it. So it might be the words that spill out of your mouth. It might be the door that gets slammed. Or the squealing tires as you pull away. Is nothing more than reacting. So reacting is acting repeatedly without thought. It's a conditioned reaction. Who's um, ever heard of the Pavlov's dog experiment? Remember Dr. Pavlov? Yeah, he was working with a conditioned response. So he was looking at what happens before what happens happens happens. So he had a dog, a bell, and a piece of meat. So he'd ring the bell, feed the dog a piece of meat. Ring the bell, feed the dog a piece of meat. Pretty soon, all he had to do was ring the bell, and the dog would salivate in anticipation, even if the meat came or not. All right, so that was a conditioning that was set up. This emotional hijack is the same kind of thing, but it's a conditioned reaction. It happens before we get to so when there's pressures on and our buttons are pushed, you know, here we go. <laughs> Bubbles come up and it's really hard sometimes to put your best foot forward or your best thinking forward in that moment, isn't it? It happens to all of us. So part of our self-leadership is learning to manage that. And one of the best ways I know how to manage that is to be able to identify what your button is. Because remember, it's the what happens before what happens happens. So it's really starting to short circuit from the button to the reaction. So one of the best ways to do that is just ask yourself, what am I feeling? And see if you can name the emotion. So I'm just gonna put up this here. Emotional hijack, what does the word hijack suggest to you? You're held up. 
something else has taken over, you are no longer in control in that moment. So that's what's happening. Every time our buttons are pushed and we're emotionally hijacked, we are temporarily out of control of our best selves for that moment or week or however long it takes. All right. Have you ever noticed that you could have two people say exactly the same thing to you, and for one of them you're like, eh, you know, water off a duck's back. And the other person will say it, and you're like, <laughs> it gets your buttons. How come that person can push your buttons, but the other one, it doesn't matter? Could, yeah, it could be prior experience, it could be a whole number of reasons. Maybe they remind you of a past experience that feels you know, similar. So, we've got to get to know how come that person can push my buttons, or how come that situation can push my buttons. Because if we don't get to know that, then guess what? We're just like one big button walking around the world, <laughs> waiting to be pushed. And who would agree there's some professional button pushers out there? <laughs> some people know exactly what they're doing, by the way, and some people have no idea that they're pushing your buttons. Who remembers Muhammad Ali? Yes. Remember him? I am the greatest. I'm the greatest of all time. That alone pushed some people's buttons. You know, he's bragging about himself. And then, of course, you know, he'd do his little slinky footwork. <laughs> show off. He was masterful at pushing people's buttons. It was his strategy. I don't know if you remember when it was building up to a fight. In the media, in the press, in the interviews, he was, he was strategically pushing the buttons of his opponent. He'd insult them. <laughs> so they're mean and mad. So their bubbles are up. So of course, by the time they get into the ring, his opponent is like, I want to kill you and he's all full of bubbles. Now remember what happens to us when our bubbles are up? Can't listen, can't see the bigger picture, can't think clearly in that moment. So he comes into the ring, you know, floats like a butterfly, stings like a bee, and you know, he'd have a flailing, angry opponent, whereas he is here now, he's calm, so he can see everything. It's almost like you can slow down you know, if you think of emergency situations you've attended to, where you hurry up and get present and do what you have to do, if you're saving a life, you suddenly, it's like you slow down time in that moment. You can all do it. Yeah, so, he or she who can push your buttons wins. <laughs> they win because it pushes you off your best self. It pushes you off your stable platform. See, and you've got enough things in your workday that you have to manage and deal with and behaviors and, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot that you take care of. And this is not the position we want to feel or be in at work, do we? But sometimes it's through what happens at work or certain people that give us stress or push our buttons. So, you know, sometimes we think, well, why can't the other person just change? Well, wouldn't that be lovely if we could just go, bing, there they go, they change, but it's unlikely. <laughs> and this is why if we have the power to choose and get to know 
our own buttons so that they can no longer be pushed. See, then we're not caught up in a drama triangle. Yeah, and um, I, I think this, this uh, the, uh, 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 Muhammad Ali, as always, uh, sort of ring, um, that scenario always ring, uh, rings a bell for me. Now, in that case, then, <laughs> if, we, if, if you, you see, by the way, these people who are, have the ability to push your buttons, there is a pattern. If you recognize whoever it is that pushed the, your buttons, or they're being parent, child, whatever, there is a pattern. And once you recognize their pattern, then you can deal with it. Now, if you were to, going in the ring with Muhammad Ali and you actually dissect and realize what he was doing, well then, you can see that is his pattern because that is his preparation before he goes into the ring. So recognizing other people's patterns and therefore not buying in the game with them is a very important part of our strategy. Because otherwise, what happens is that we will constantly acting repeatedly the same way. You see that? So we're actually getting ourselves hijacked. And even if you're working with somebody that you have a disagreement with, or they think you know, they are their parent child to you, and so on and so forth, and uh, you are anticipating, well, tomorrow I'm on duty with this person, or tomorrow the aggressive relative is going to come, uh, come uh, then we are already hijacking ourselves. <laughs> yeah, because you know, we think about them. We think about them, and as soon as you, they, you think about them, they're in your thought, the buttons are being pushed already. You see, so you're already losing, uh, you're losing the plot, as it were. So the strategy for us is to actually, how do we actually get ourselves prepared so that we break our own reactive pattern, and then we can listen. Then we are, our mind is clear. Then we have a stable platform to stay in the here and now and observe their pattern, as it were. But instead of dancing with them like Muhammad Ali, well, we're not going to dance with them. We're going to short circuit our own pattern of reactivity towards this person. So that is a very, very important step. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. So recognize people's pattern. Watch them from afar, it even in your, in your recalling of what their patterns are. They said in the morning they're particularly cranky, it's these relatives coming in and always start shouting, and then everybody is moving away from them. You know, the more we move away from these people, the more they're going to come and search for us. <laughs> catch the nurse, catch the nurse. Oh, here's another one, go and catch them, you know, because as soon as they open the door, everybody's disappeared. <laughs> they are that powerful. Or are we giving them the power? Yeah. Okay, the drama triangle, is that the next thing? Um, yes, I just ah. want to finish off on this one. Oh, okay. Uh, just one more thing on this. So, so part of learning to short circuit this is, is getting to know your button. And it's by simply asking yourself, what am I feeling? So you may not be able to ask yourself that in the moment <laughs> that you're feeling a bit emotionally hijacked, but afterwards, just go back to the situation and go, okay, what am I feeling? Because it's not about how they make you feel, it's about what button in you has been pushed. Because that's what you can deal with. You can't necessarily change their behavior, but you can change whether it causes you to react or whether you can learn to go, ah, you know, I recognize the pattern, I don't need to buy into it. So what am I feeling? And if you did nothing else but that, over the next seven days, you start to learn what your own default pattern is. When this happens, I tend to, it tends to push that button. 
See? And so we can actually overwrite our default patterns to something that's a positive response instead of a hijacked reaction. Okay, yes, Doc, the next slide. So we mentioned drama. <laughs> about this drama triangle thing. Yeah, yeah. Now I need some volunteers. I need three people, please, just to come out here with me. And in fact, Vivian is one of them. <gasps> oh, <God>. Okay. <laughs> well, because um, we're going to set it up as a drama triangle just to demonstrate to you how powerful this, this triangle is to, to, to in, in terms of drawing people out, consciously or subconsciously. So I just need two more people here. Yeah, Thank you. Thanks. Okay, so Vivian, you'll be the, um, the, the victim of the top, right? Okay. And then what about, um, you'll be the rescuer. Okay, so I just need a persecutor. Just act as a persecutor. So if you just stand kind of like a triangle. Just one more person. Valerie, how about you? Yeah. <laughs> Good on you, thanks. That's it, if you don't volunteer, we choose volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Could you please stand here? Okay. okay. So here we are, the setup of this drama triangle. So this is the victim, as it were, and uh, the persecutor. Uh, you're the person. You're the rescuer. rescuer. Okay. You're the persecutor. That's right. Okay. So let's say the scenario starts like this. And uh, now, by the way, I've got to explain that everything starts from the, the from the victim, right? The victim, as it were, and the victim is nothing more than a state of thinking. It's just a state of mind. So. This person thinks that she has been persecuted by somebody. It could be a manager, it could be a, a relative, it could be a colleague, it could be anybody. Okay? So let's say, Valerie, you are the persecutor. So all I want you to do, please, is to finger point at Viv Vivian. Just finger point at her. Okay. So, <laughs> so no, 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 keep on doing it. You gotta keep on doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you are, so you might be actually giving her feedback or some task during the day that she hasn't completed, right? That might be all you have to do, while you are giving her the feedback. However, because as I said, the victim is a, is a state of thinking, a state of mind, so this person is saying, Valerie is picking on me all the time, so she feels being victimized, okay? Now, then, then Vivian got it, well, <laughs> before she does that, she's feeling awfully unfair. Isn't that unfair? So unfair. It's terrible. It's absolutely She's terrible. Picking on She's me. picking on you. Oh yeah, right. Oh, you don't want to work with her, do you? Well, you've got to change your, your, your duty and so on. Well, anyway, so Vivian automatically would look for a sympathizer, right? somebody who's on the same page, somebody who would understand. You. You're not a rescuer. So grab her now. See, do you know what she said to me? <laughs> right. So you see, here you are, the rescuer per se, Keep and the victim coming together, they are actually talking about <laughs> this assumed yeah. persecutor. <laughs> yes. no, she's not. So now, who, who, is the, who is the victim now? Okay, so here he is, this is changing, the triangle is now moving. Yeah? This, this is drama, you see, so the triangle is moving. So you now you've got two kind of victim, as it were, Finger pointing, so finger pointing. <laughs> so now Valerie is feeling, my God, you know, the, uh, the environment, the atmosphere has changed. They, the, some people are not talking to me, and they're giving me yes and no answers. And then in, even the new people, the agency staff, are being influenced by that. Oh, cracky! Well, I better, I better talk to somebody about that. So 
fe feeling rather victimized, as it were. So Valerie is going to grab somebody else. Go and grab some of your, grab somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it's come up, Mary. Mary. So Mary is going to be part of. But Mary, Mary is got dragged into this, right? Well, Mary is not consciously. Just stand together. Just stand together, right? Oh, now so. You have now got the persecutor, finger pointing the victim, and then you've got all kinds of potential rescuers or sympathizers. Now you can see that if they were actually keep on grabbing rescuers and sympathizers, rescuers and sympathizers, very soon your team will be split. Yeah, isn't that divisive? Yes, it is divisive. Now the thing about the drama triangle is that people do not know they're in the triangle. That's the thing, because it's very subtle. You think that, well, you know, th that, is, that is being unfair. Therefore, I'm just lending a, a sympathetic ear. But that you, are, you become the rescuer, actually. Yeah, and then being the res rescuer, you are actually keeping the person who has the, uh, developed the, the victim mentality, keeping them into the victim uh, uh, um, mentality, as it were. And together, remember, when you finger point at the, at the persecutor, then the triangle moves round. Now, so remember, this is a subconscious model, but then very easily um, in, in our workplace, we get sucked into this. It's a very, very powerful thing, and we're actually in it before we know it. So that's very divisive to the team. Yeah, and also too, remember, this triangle, it moves around. It moves around, so beware of people. You can actually stand uh, you know, outside of it and watch uh, uh, you know, watch from outside. You can see it playing out. Yeah. Thank you very much, ladies. Thank you, ladies. Yeah. So you may, you may or may not um, be aware that is happening in your workplace, but now you know. Yeah. And uh, you have a choice. Then the choice is that you don't buy into it to start off with. Yeah. And um, and it is difficult sometimes because there is a, sometimes there is already an existing culture. Uh, in, in fact, the culture of gossip. Now, gossip is poison, because chi uh, gossip is like Chinese whisper, you know. And uh, the ch story changes all the time. You see, so um, uh, so actually, keeping the big picture in mind, your purpose and the vision of the organisation, um, and stay professional. And you started with the power of one, and that power of one comes from you, because once we get get into the drama triangle is very, very tiring. Do you know sometimes you, you might go, uh, go to work and then uh, you just feel tired, you know? It's not particularly busy, but it's just very tiring. Yeah, yeah, because of the, 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 the cultural tension that is being, uh, being felt by you. Yeah. Okay, so that is something to sort of raise your awareness. And indeed, awareness is number one here three A's, part of the strategy. Yes, so the three A's, awareness, acknowledge, and action. So if we're not aware of what we're doing, <laughs> then we can't acknowledge that we're doing something that maybe isn't coming across as we intend, and then it means we'll repeat the same old actions in taking, instead of taking a new action. So for the first part of this, we've, all we've been doing is just presenting some scenarios and information that you can attach your own awareness to, right? So, an awareness um, around leadership style, motivational style, 
How do people perceive me? How do I come across in my communication? The drama tri triangle. <laughs> Am I finding myself in it? Because as Dot said, we often don't even realize we're in it unless we step back and ask the question, you know, am I actually in here somewhere? Because if I am, then I'm going to step out of it. <laughs> so awareness, acknowledge it without judgment. Just go, ah, so that's why I'm getting that reaction from others. <laughs> or that's why I'm reacting to somebody else. So just be aware, acknowledge it, and then that sets us up to take a new or different action. You know, so it might just be managing our own buttons so that other people can't rattle us because we're aware of their patterns. They might have good intention, but perhaps not the skill and strategy to present it in a way that other people feel good about it. All right, so this next part, we're actually going to move into just some, you know, some more information and some actions uh, that we could pay more attention to. So this umbrella here um, is the umbrella is the relationship umbrella. So really a lot of what we've already talked about today falls under the umbrella of relationships. You know, how's the relationships with ourselves? Do we talk about ourselves nicely to ourselves or do we say horrible things to ourselves about ourselves? <laughs> you know, then relationship is also then around others. So it's about learning to put the relationship first. If I was to ask you, in any relationship, whether it's a personal relationship or a professional relationship, what would be two really important things to have? Trust and respect. Absolutely. So trust and respect. Now trust is about consistency. Who's ever worked with somebody who one day they're really lovely and fine to get along with and the next day they're blowing up and slamming things and it's really hard over time to trust, you know? So it's their behavior that you can't trust, but then we start to personalize it and go, I can't trust you because you blow up. And, you know, so it becomes really difficult to invest our trust. And like I said, trust is about consistency, consistency of behavior, consistency of sharing information, even transparency. You know, if you make a mistake, one of the best things you can do as a leader is demonstrate what you do immediately after you make a mistake. <laughs> you know, it's like, whoop, made a mistake, now how do we resolve it? You know, whereas I knew one manager where she went, I can't tell my team that I'm making mistakes, they won't respect me. <laughs> See, people are not stupid. <laughs> they already knew she was covering up mistakes, so they didn't trust her and they didn't respect her. See, which then, made it more difficult for her to get the team what she needed them to do. So trust is consistency. And then with enough consistency, people can move towards respect. You know, and respect has to be demonstrated to be earned. You know how people say, respect me. You need to respect me. Show me some respect. <laughs> well, that's not even a very respectful way to talk to somebody else, is it? So, trust and respect are very important. And there's something that's missing up there. Because before we can even start getting people to invest some kind of trust in us, there's something else we need to work on first. So, any ideas what that is? Yeah. 
It's probably already in your notes. <laughs> rapport, okay. So the simple meaning of rapport is reducing differences between two people. Simply reducing differences between two people. So just for silly example, I could say, hey, you've got blonde hair, me too. It's like, you're from planet Earth, me too. <laughs> but before my microphone did that, what I was going to demonstrate, as I find same, same, it, it's easier to approach. Whereas if I started back there and I just came walking straight over, there would be a point where I would feel an absolute, that's my bubble, <laughs> do not cross the line. See, so how do we become more sensitive to, in our approach to people? Because rapport is not just about the words that we use, it's, it's about our presence around somebody else. You know, if somebody feels threatened, we don't walk straight on to them. If someone feels threatened, we actually take a bit, our belly buttons away from them <laughs> and get on side with them rather than front on with them. So these are all things that we just, you know, our, our makeup is to feel okay or feel not okay. So when we focus on building rapport, finding a match, something you can relate on. And like I said, it may just be a calm body language. You may not have to say anything. Or maybe it's about finding things that are common in interest. Because if you look at the word relationship, it's got the word relate in it. It's about relating. Because when people can relate to you, it actually builds a sense of safety. So rapport is about building a sense of safety. Some people are masterful at doing that very quickly, and some people take a little time. But what's important is that we focus on how safe do people feel when I walk into the room? You know, how safe does somebody I'm caring for feel when I approach them? having to take you know, blood pressure or give them a bath or whatever it might be. How safe do they feel? Because when we build that sense of safety, then people are willing to invest the trust and move to respect. So this relationship umbrella, is, it's, it's about everything. It's about everyone. It's about our colleagues. It's about our team members. It's about our bosses. It's about our residents, it's about the relatives. How do we learn to put the relationship first with each one of those? Because you know what? When we do it, it makes our lives easier. Because you get people on side rather than not even knowing why they're off side. Does that make sense? Yeah. Over to you, Doc. And um, there's one part of it. It's ask you to um, actually name some people or to think no, no, about. No, that's not. That's later. Um, it's this one. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I need, I, I'm needing this. A very important one. <laughs> now, how can uh, number two? Uh, what can I pay more uh, attention to my uh, communication style? You know, what, 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 what is the, uh, the fact? Do I, do I have to pay more attention in even forming the initial rapport? Or can I have consistent, my, is my behavior consistent in this behavior uh, so that people can 
say that, yeah, I trust you because I can actually have a, I can see the predictable pattern and, um, and that is a pattern of respect and uh, they listen to me and so on and so forth. So just have a, have a chat um, with the person next to you um, uh, to see, yeah, to discuss which, which part in your communication style that you can pay more attention to. All right, now, um, just a couple of feedbacks. Just which aspect, just one aspect in your truly relating that you can pay attention to? What would that be? Anybody? Yeah, rapport. Rapport is a, is a, is a, is a, is a very a simple thing, but it can be quite difficult. Finding was the same thing. Yeah. Yes. That's right. And uh, so, you know... Yes, so uh, what he's saying here is that um, um, really is that, you know, if, let's say if you're a manager and if people are not coming to you, then you, you will see the, well, what it is that I'm, I can improve in my communication. Because ultimately, it's not up to the other person to change because we can't change another person. It's how do we change to make ourselves more warm, more uh, approachable. And how do we form the report? And it's finding the same same. The same same might not be actually same as work. You know, when we when I first started uh, in nursing, we have badges, right? We have badges. So then I look at another person's badge. Oh, that's the hospital you were trained in. I was trained in there too. Or I know somebody who's trained in that hospital, right? So we straight away have that report. But now we don't actually have that. So that's a sort of thing from a professional point of view. But for for uh, from a personal point of view, you know, I like drinking tea. I like collecting tea bags. Let's say. Well, somebody else might appreciate that as well. So, so it's just finding that same same, you know, that will that will actually you relate to each other at a different level. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So. Um, All right. Yes. Great. <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna get a couple of feedbacks. Oh, did you okay. want another feedback? No, 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 that's it. Okay, that's you're it. good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know. So again, like we said, it's it's the three A's: awareness acknowledge what it is, and then change our action. Because you're gonna get a better result and it's gonna make your life easier. Um, avoiding taking anything personally. Is that easy to do, by the way? That is one of the hardest things to do. And the more tired you are, sometimes <laughs> the more likely you are to take things personally. So I'm gonna demonstrate something to you here. Okay, for those of you up the back, I've got a bag here with me, all right? So have you ever woken up in the morning and you're feeling really good and you've got to work, feeling quite bright and happy, and then let's just call me Jane for this exercise, okay? If there's a Jane here, just it's not about you. <laughs> Don't take it personally. <laughs> so let's just call me Jane. So Jane arrives and you go, good morning, Jane. And Jane's like, what's so good about it? And then she proceeds to download what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with the workplace, what's wrong with the shift. <laughs> See, this here is Jane's emotional baggage. <laughs> she has spent a lifetime filling this thing. She's very attached to it. Who knows what's in there? <laughs> but she brings it to work. Now, this baggage works for Jane because it creates drama. See, so later in the day, somebody will say to you, so how's your day going? 
And you go, well, it was great till Jane showed up. She ruined my whole day. <laughs> How come Jane has the power to ruin your whole day? Because <laughs> we let her. Because we take her behavior personally. We take it that it's at me. See, then later in the days, um, somebody will say to you, could you please go and ask Jane <laughs> to clean up <laughs> room 28? And you think about it and you go, you know what, I'll just do it myself. <laughs> See, Jane wins. The baggage works. So if we go back to thinking about patterns of behavior, get to be aware of other people's patterns of behavior so that you don't take them personally. Jane probably does that to everybody. So I had somebody in a workshop that um, <laughs> thought, took this um, demonstration back to the workplace because she said, I have got a big Jane. <laughs> and so instead of saying good morning to Jane, she now went, morning. Jane couldn't argue with it. <laughs> no, it's not morning. <laughs> she could only go, what's good about it? So she'd just go, morning, and move on. <laughs> See, you don't have to stop putting your best self forward. If you're somebody that says hello and good morning and somebody doesn't respond, that's their stuff. Don't take that on board. You just go, oh well, I don't know why, but I'm still going to say good morning and give out that love. So, we need to learn to separate the behavior from the person. So this is Jane, the human being, and this is the baggage. So if we separate Jane from the behavior, then it's less likely to push our buttons. See? And that becomes part of your leadership because then your interactions and your vibe towards Jane is going to be different. And sometimes, just through that, we get a change of behavior in people. So avoid taking things personally. Because <laughs> um, the other thing is, is if we see Jane and the baggage as one, what happens to us every time we see Jane? Pushes our buttons. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what happens when we think about Jane? Pushes our buttons. <laughs> So we start pushing our own buttons. Okay, so what others say or do, it's a projection of their reality. Get to know their patterns. And as I said, avoid making it personal. Separate the person from the behavior. So the practice of avoiding taking things personally, it's not easy, but it's effective. And it ultimately makes your life easier. We've got another tool for you here, which is about the ability to choose your perspective. So can we choose our perspective when we're in the emotional hijack? Oh, get away from that speaker. <laughs> it's like the no-go zone. <laughs> no, we can't, can we? Because we're too hijacked at the time. So there's a tool and a strategy that you can use that's very effective if you're willing to use it. Who's ever heard of the RAS? It stands for Reticular Activating System. Reticular Activating System. It's something that lives somewhere near the base of our brains, 
and there's literally millions of pieces of information feed through that every minute of every day. And it's a survival mechanism. If you were walking in the bush and something rustled in the leaves and came out and bit you on the leg, next time you're walking in the bush, as soon as you hear the rustle in the leaves, <laughs> your RAS has already put you into get out of here before you can think. Well, what most of us don't realize is that our RAS is responding to our conscious and unconscious directions all day long. So I'm going to give you an example of it. Just ask your brains to notice the color red. Did anybody see red? I just noticed your red glasses. <laughs> My RAS wasn't on. So nobody sat there and went like this, looking for red. You all just went, yep, <laughs> know where it is. Because your RAS has already scoped out the room. It's a survival mechanism. It already knows what's in here without you having to be conscious of every piece of information. Otherwise, we'd go crazy. Who's ever bought a new car? What do you see on the road after you buy your new car? Everybody's got that car. <laughs> all you've done is directionalized your RAS to something specific. When you're pregnant, that's right. <laughs> the whole world is pregnant when you're pregnant. <laughs> Yes, so you've directionalized your RAS and basically it's bringing it to your attention without you having to go seeking it. So now how about this? Tell your brains, don't notice blue. I forgot I was wearing blue. <laughs> yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> so why did blue show up? when we said don't notice blue. Because it's about the what is or the action. The don't means nothing. So this is how powerful your RAS is. Whatever you're thinking, it brings to your attention. Whatever you're talking about, it brings to your attention. And then when you're talking about what you don't wish to see, see sometimes we can go to work going, I don't want to have to deal with this and I don't want to, don't want to, and your RAS is just going, there it is, there it is, there it is, there it is. See, so sometimes we feel like there's more of what we don't want to see than what we do want to see. And it's simply because of how we are consciously or unconsciously directionalizing our RAS. So we can change our world by deliberately choosing our perspective, or we like to call it choosing a filter. So, oh, thank you, Dot. So, what I'd like you to do now, just for a moment, is imagine in a perfect world. <laughs> now, I said imagine. <laughs> in a perfect world that if everybody you worked with had good self-leadership, they managed their emotions, they got on with the job, they pulled together as a team, you're still going to have all the workloads that you have, but what you wouldn't have is all the drama drama triangle stuff. How would you feel at the end of the day working with a team that were on side, that were responsible and accountable? Awesome. Okay, so you'd feel awesome. How else would you feel? Happy. So if you don't feel tired, you would feel energized. How else would you feel? Wonder how long it lasts. No, we're imagining in a perfect world. 
happy to go back the next day. So you'd feel motivated, motivated to go back the next day. How would your mind feel at the end of the day? Clear or calm? Yeah. So there's many more words we could put here, but I'm aware that our time is shortening up right now. So what you've just created here are emotions that are up the emotional scale. So remember earlier I said you can walk into a place and it feels light and uplifted? That's when things are up the emotional scale because things that are, are positive and rewarding carry a higher vibration which feels lighter. Whereas things that are down the scale are much heavier because it's a lower vibration. So things like fear, frustration, anger, resentment, judgment, all of those live down the scale. So by choosing up the scale, and by the way, a lot of people have their conversations down the scale. It's just because it's become culture for some people, you know. You should have seen the day I had. You should have seen what I had to deal with. Really? You, sh you think that was bad? You should have seen the day I had. <laughs> I had the day from hell. I had to do this, this, this. You know, it's almost like the competition of who's going to win the worst day. Why do we talk like that? You know, we can take a new action and deliberately choose up the scale. So we call it your emotional GPS. Where? <laughs> it's my emotional guidance positioning system. Where am I on the scale? Am I slipping down and feeling all this negative stuff? Well, if I am, I can now have the power to choose up the scale. So let's say you had a difficult meeting that you needed to attend. What could you choose as your filter? How would you directionalize your RAS? Choose one. You could choose calm, because if you're calm, you're not going to buy into the drama. You're not going to take things personally. You're going to be in a position where you can see the bigger picture. You can think with clarity, you can truly listen, you know. So this stuff actually really works. So you just know how easy it was saying, notice red, don't notice blue. I could say, notice green. I could pick any color and your RAS will just go, there it is. Mm. Well, it takes practice. Yes. Oh, do you want to repeat that no, no, question? No, 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 To me, that, that seems to be the point, is when, when you actually have someone surprise you. Yes. You don't have a chance to do anything. It's, it's caught you off guard, that Yes, that's right. and that's, that's practice. Right. It takes practice. Yeah, uh, yeah, because this is like developing a new habit, and you choose one habit to choose. Even if you say, I'm deliberately going to be aware of my RAS, where I direct my RAS from now on, just choose that one that will change your life. Because the thing is that um, uh, in, 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 the, in the concept and practice of emotion, emotional intelligence is that you look back at the situations, then you say that, oh, well, sometimes people do come and surprise me, mm. then what do I do with it? Well, then, well, the, you know, like last week that happened and I, I was a bit flustered about it. Well, okay, well, then next time, there's always the next time. What would I do differently next time? So then you're prepared. Because in emotional intelligence, you, you learn about what is in the past. You take that lesson, you say, what would I do differently next time than the next time you're prepared? Yeah. Mm. And, it, and it's a good question. And it does take practice. You know, so it's learning what's our default reaction. 
So if you know someone takes me by surprise, what's my default action? So when I get better at recognizing that, then I can go, okay, surprise, and now I can do something differently, even if it's I just take a deep breath and relax my body. Because your physiology changes your psychology. You know, so again, it's going, when I'm faced with this, how do I hurry up and just get calm? You know, you might still have all this like going on here, but you're starting to deliberately not react. So you're moving from reacting to responding in a situation, which as health professionals, you, you all do under certain circumstances. It's just learning to do it when you're hijacked by other people's behaviors. Yeah. So we call that choosing a filter. So to choose a filter, um, it's something I've done for about the last 25 years. I choose a filter before I get out of bed in the morning because I want to set up how my day goes. I don't want to be at the effect of whatever else is happening in the world. So I might choose inspiration. I might choose calm, depending on you know, what is ahead of me in the day. And we have um, teams of people now that they get, they get the shift to choose a filter for the shift together. So they all set an intention together. And it's very powerful. Um, getting, uh, oh, a filter? OK, so what we've created here is um, feeling words that are up the emotional scale. So you can just choose one of them, and then it becomes your RAS filter for the day. So if I choose to be calm, or if I choose positivity, yeah. Yes. And to give, oh. Yes. So you look at the world through new, new eyes as such. Um, just to share a quick story with you, uh, we had a manager that worked in an aged care facility and she was incredibly frustrated with one particular staff member. And this staff member had, you know, had all the labels, non-compliant, intimidating, bullies other team members, you name it. <laughs> and she did a, a five month long course with us where it was just once a month, you know, we came into this facility. And at the end of the five months, they get up and present something to us, evidence of what they've implemented in their leadership and what's changed in their facilities. Anyway, this particular lady got up and she said, uh, first of all, I have a confession to make. She said, way back on day one, when we were supposed to go home and do this particular exercise, which is in your notes actually, was where we need to pick a couple of people from our team, one that we find easy to get along with and the other that we find challenging to us. And then they had to write down, in their case, they had to write down three positive personal qualities um, or strengths that each of those people have. And people usually go, you mean I have to write something positive for the negative person as well? It's like, yes. <laughs> See? And so, so this manager relating this story to us said, um, I had to bring her in for her third and final warning. And She'd written you know, notes from the workshop that were on the back of her office door, and then she finally said, maybe I should do that exercise before I have the meeting with her. So she went, okay, I'm gonna choose a filter, I'm gonna look at some of her positive strengths and qualities, and she couldn't come up with one because she kept getting emotionally hijacked every time she thought about this person. So then she thought, okay, well, that's not gonna work sitting here trying to think about it. So she chose a filter, and she observed this this um, person, sorry, <laughs> she observed this person from a distance. 
So she chose things like, you know, positive interaction or, you know, strengths or clinical skills or whatever it might be. And she said when she put that filter on, that's exactly what she saw this person do. So then she started to use that as her praise opportunities. Okay, so it's then she could give specific praise about a particular action that this person took. See, this person in question was used to everybody criticizing and labeling her. And by the way, now that you know the power of your RAS, what happens when you label somebody as non-compliant? Your RAS is just gonna show you anything that's a match to that. So anyway, she created the list, she called her in for the meeting, and of course, you know, the lady's all folded up and defensive, and she just said to her, look, I know we've had a difficult 11 months, um, and she said, as your manager, I'd like to take some responsibility because I realize that I've never told you how important you are to this facility or how valuable you are. And she said, here is what I have observed and told her those things that she'd observed in action. And so back to the beginning of the story, this manager's on out front telling us all this and she said, if I wasn't the person telling this story, I wouldn't believe it to be true. But she said, this particular person is now one of my team leaders and she has a willingness and a spirit <laughs> because nobody ever offered this person that opportunity before. You know, in fact, this so-called bully intimidator broke down in tears when she gave her the positive feedback and said, nobody in my whole working life has ever, ever given me that positive feedback. Well, so hopefully you will have some you have something to take home and use as tools unfortunately yes. we're out of time uh, so please um, go home and have a look at uh, the remainder of the notes there are only about a couple of slides that uh, uh, we basically mentioned about giving praise and the two reflective questions about yes. what did you do well what would i do differently or better and um, maybe we'll just quickly finish with the uh, the two wolf story to give you an impression of the, um, of the, basically, um, of your choices to get people on side. Any one of the things that, um, that you contributed uh, to us today and also that we have uh, uh, shared, um, any one of them, just pick one or two and that will make your life easier. And the ultimately is about your own self-leadership and how you lead yourself and therefore change your reaction or yeah, you know, changing it to responding uh, each and every situation. So we'll just finish quickly with uh, the two wolves story. Yes, so when you look at the two wolves later on, it will be meaningful to you. So there's an old Cherokee grandfather sitting by the fireside with his little grandson. And he says, grandson, there is something you must know about every human being. Inside every one of us, there's a battle that goes on between two wolves. There's the evil wolf. So the evil wolf is about judging another, being condescending, criticizing, hatred, anger, frustration, fear. And then there's the good wolf. And the good wolf is about love and respect, inspiration, peace, joy, uplifting another, empowering. So the little grandson thinks about this battle that goes on inside every human being, and he finally says, so grandfather, 
which wolf wins? And grandfather says, the wolf you feed. So, in your self-leadership, which wolf are you feeding in you? The good wolf or the bad wolf? In your leadership and interactions with others, which wolf are you feeding? The good wolf or the bad wolf? So, thank you very much for your participation today. We're really grateful to be here. Thank you, Doc.